Hello and welcome to Test Podagogy. This is the podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning, produced by the editors and writers at TES. We interview leading academics, start debates about pedagogy and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing classroom teachers today. This season will bring you a wealth of new guests who will all shine a light on their research and how it translates into the classroom. We will also dig into our archive to bring you the best episodes from past seasons. These will have been chosen because they continue to have relevance for teachers today. I'm Kate Parker, a features writer at TES, and this week my guest is Dr. Ems Lord. Lord is a research fellow at Clare Hall at the University of Cambridge, and she's also the director of the university's Enrich project. This is a collaboration between the university's faculties of mathematics and education, and is also part of the faculty's Millennium Mathematics project. The project provides thousands of free online mathematics resources for pupils aged between 3 and 18 and focuses on developing mathematical thinking and problem solving. Today, Lord is here to talk about why children of all ages need to develop curiosity and resilience in maths and share the details of a research project in which recently undertook to support teachers in embedding those skills in the classroom. To begin with then, she explains why curiosity and resilience is so important in the maths classroom and the extent to which schools are fostering these skills already. I think the first thing is to be thinking about the maths curriculum that we've got. So we've got a curriculum that focuses on fluency, reasoning and understanding um, and with the problem solving in there. They're really, really important. But there's a difference between passing an exam in maths and working as a mathematician, thinking mathematically. And what's in the curriculum? They're really, really important for being a mathematician, but they're not the only things that are needed. So yes, we need to know our number facts and our procedures, and we need to understand what we're doing. But if you're not careful, that doesn't give you the flexibility to solve unfamiliar problems or to overcome challenges when you get stuck and we all get stuck, otherwise it's not a problem. So what we look for at Enrich is an approach which we call the rote model and which we've taken from some research called Adding It Up by uh, Jeremy Kilpatrick and colleagues. And with that rote model, they look at five strands. So there's the fluency with number and procedures, there's the understanding, but those are two of the strands. And the other three strands we really value as well for being a mathematician. So it's being able to reason and explain your reasoning and explain reasoning in different contexts. It's about strategic thinking. And that's where things like curiosity come in, because if you're thinking strategically, you're not just solving problems and being quite receptive. You're being proactive because you're posing problems as well and using your curiosity. And then the fifth strand is about being really positive about maths, enjoying maths, doing maths for its own sake and understanding why other people want to study the subject and hopefully studying it yourself too. So for us, there's these five strands and that's why aspects such as curiosity and resilience are so important because they're key qualities to develop to become a mathematician. Mm. I think that curiosity in particular is quite hard to define um, in maths lessons. So, I mean, how, how would you define it and how would you think that teachers can kind of, you know, nurture that and foster that in the lessons? You're right. It is something that's really hard to define. 
but it's something that we see when inspectors have been into schools and they're saying, you know, we need to develop more curious learners. And you might have politicians or researchers saying, this is something really important. But when you're a class teacher, you're saying, so what does that look like in my classroom? What do it, does it look like when I have a room full of curious learners? Well, I think the first thing is about them being really engaged in the learning. And one way of showing that is by them posing questions, wondering what might happen. And at the very early stages, noticing things when you show them a pattern or a picture and starting to think like a mathematician, what would a mathematician ask? So if you showed them a picture of maybe some fencing and there's a repeat with panels, what might a mathematician ask? We showed them the school dining hall with all the tables out. What might a mathematician ask about that? So it's modelling those questions and valuing it. And it's so important in the classroom because the OECD, who are the people behind PISA, they reported in November, so this is a really recent report, they reported a positive correlation between having curious students and high attaining in maths. So we know we're doing good things if we can get them to be more curious. But on the other hand, we also know that curiosity dies off as we get older. As we get into the education system, as we start working for our exams, our curiosity decreases. So as teachers, we can do an awful lot by valuing curiosity and making sure the children know it's valued in our classrooms, whether it's through our displays or through our teaching approaches. Mm. And obviously, you know, through your work with Enrich, you will have been into, you know, dozens and dozens of schools, I'm sure. So how much do you see the, you know, those like kind of five strands that you were, you were speaking about? How often do they actually, are you seeing that happen in schools already? Yeah, we're really lucky at Enrich that not only do we get to work with schools directly and do webinars with teachers, but we also have so many people coming and visiting the website and using our resources. I mean, at the peak of the pandemic, we were welcoming over a million page views in a week. So we know there's a huge audience out there looking at what we do. And one thing that we set up, inspired by the rote model, um, was a version to use in classrooms, um, teacher-pupil-friendly version of it. And that's been really well received by teachers. And we know classes have been sticking it in the front of their books and just seeing how mathematical they're being. Are they just using number recall? Are they using their reasoning? Are they posing problems? And going back to it after lessons and reflecting on what they've done and which qualities they might want to develop. So that's been a really exciting project. And we have a page on Enrich where teachers can go and download that resource as well. In 2019, Lord-led research, which explored the extent that primary age learners are able and willing to work in a curious manner. And it also reflected on the obstacles towards embedding a culture of curiosity in our schools. This was just such a fantastic opportunity. So yeah, we secured funding um, for a project looking at developing curiosity and resilience in the maths classroom. So that was just so exciting for us because there were two key areas we wanted to develop. But we needed to do that with schools and we needed to have something that we could use an iterative process with. So come up with something, try it out and refine it. So what we did as a team is the first thing we sat down and thought, what are the 
the baby steps involved? Because if we're talking about maybe developing calculation skills, there are certain steps you take a child through. Or if they're going to draw diagrams using a compass in geometry, again, the stages. But it just seemed with curiosity and resilience, you either were curious and resilient or you weren't. So what do the steps look like? So we identified a few steps there that could be um, used in classes. So such as um, wondering, does the child notice things and wonder? Can they then pose questions based on that? And if they've got a question, not only do they investigate it, but do they have that willingness to get started and investigate it? So we came up with a few key points that we thought were important on the journey. And also we tried to identify some resources that we thought would be helpful. Typical enriched resources, so low threshold, everyone in the class can get started, but have a high ceiling. So there's that element of stretch and challenge when needed. And then we took those into schools and we worked with primary and secondary teachers. And we said, look, here's some resources. Here's some ideas about what curious learners would look like. Could you take these? We gave them the schools on a grid and said, could you do the lessons with the children? And could you record when you see these behaviours and any ideas and ways you're adapting the teaching to bring those out that aren't in our current teacher's notes? So the teachers were absolutely fantastic. They ran with it. They delivered the lessons. I went back into the schools, met the children, asked them about their learning. And I spoke with the teachers as well. What are we doing right? How can we adjust things? And that was just so fantastic. The children were saying when they've got those ideas of the steps, they could see where they are and they could see what they needed to do next. So that was really great. So then we had the ideas from the teachers and all that feedback. So we then sat down again and looked at all the steps involved and we refined them. And we ended up with a four-step process, which is like all things in the class. You adapt it to your own needs. But it was first off getting the children to notice. So just looking at a mathematical picture or sequence and just say, what do you notice about it? And then once they've noticed things, what does it make you wonder? So they may have noticed a pattern. Maybe they want to continue it. And then from there, they choose whatever investigation they'd like to do. They go off and investigate. It's the third step. And then the fourth step, which originally we were thinking maybe it's a fourth and fifth, but schools felt this is very much a fourth step, is to reflect on what they've done and create something new. Because one of the things that we know from the research is if you can solve a problem, that's great. But if you can use that learning to go and pose a similar problem and apply what you've learned, that's even better. And that's when you're really celebrating curiosity and you've got curious learners. So we had those four steps. We then shared those with teachers and asked, you know, is this language sort of thing you'd be doing in the classroom? What sort of hints and tips can we put on there? And once we'd done that and we got some really good scores from the teachers on, you know, how useful it was, how relevant it was, then and only then we put it on the website and published what we've been doing. And now there's a resource on Enrich where teachers can go and see examples of activities where you can take the children through these steps and help them become more curious learners. Mm. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when you think about 
curiosity or even resilience, do you tend to think that's something that's like inbuilt in people? So people are naturally curious or they're naturally resilient. And it's really interesting to get students to actually think of it as something that you can build on and, and a skill that you can grow and that you can foster and that you can improve on. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And so often we focus on, do you know your times tables? Can you find the area of the circle? And those are valued. But with curiosity, it's, it doesn't seem to be there the same. We don't set out assessments saying, are you curious? Because it's a much harder thing to measure. And by valuing it, by doing the project, by working with the schools, first off, we were showing how important it is. And then encouraging the schools to use the resources was next. And then, of course, um, the OECD report at the end of last year, again, it just emphasised the value of curiosity. And when you're thinking about what it takes to be a mathematician, being curious and being resilient, these are really important life skills. Whatever we end up doing, we can learn them in the maths classroom. We can refine them and embed them in the maths classroom, but we can go away and use them in our everyday lives. So when we're doing these things in the classroom, we're doing good things as well for their futures as well, I believe. So what does this four-step process, or the curiosity and resilience ladders, as the research calls them, look like in practice? I think when we're working with young people, every day is different. You can wake up one morning and you're just really curious about everything about you, and other days, less so. So with something like these grids, it's about being flexible. Some days the children might be a long way along, some days less so. So it's like many things that we do in the classroom. We look for where they are now, think of them as the individual and help them to the next step. So one thing that's lovely about having activities that are low threshold, high ceiling, you can get them all started. You can all talk about what you notice. And by getting the discussion going, the ones who are already being curious they can kind of set an example for the others to develop their curiosity. And then they record each lesson where they're up to and they can see what it is they need to do next. So it's very much like anything else we teach in the classroom. We think about what that individual child needs to progress. And the steps just give us an idea of the sorts of areas that we're looking for. But I think it'd be very difficult to say today we're looking at this aspect because everybody's different. What's important is having engaging activities that allow them to develop those skills and develop them at their own rate. Last night, I was reading through a research paper I put in about this project to the BSRLM, and they've got this fantastic um, approach where you can present a paper at a conference and then they publish in their proceedings. So I'd presented an activity we'd done with the primary schools for this project. And so I went back and read the paper last night, and that was called The Case of the Four Triangles. And with the case of the four triangles, it was an activity from Enrich called Four Triangles. And with that, you basically, you have a square, you cut it across the diagonals, so you create four smaller triangles. So you get this activity and you have a square, you cut it up into the four triangles. And rather than just launching straight into it, what we found really well was the teachers putting the four triangles on the tables and just saying, have a look, explore. So rather than saying we are doing this, let them have some exploratory time. And it just reminds me when I go out on a conference or I go on a course for the day and somebody's left something on the table. It is so difficult not to pick it up and have a look at it in a fiddle. 
letting the children do that, explore the triangles. I mean, can you imagine if we were at a conference, somebody put some Lego or something on the table? We don't need telling, we start playing. So having the resource out, children had a go at making the different shapes. And then they naturally come to a point where they're saying, I wonder how many different shapes we could make by putting these triangles together. Fantastic. So they've, they've noticed they've got four triangles. They've noticed they fit together. They know it can go together different ways. Now they're thinking, I wonder if. The next step's really great because, yes, they've posed a question, but to move them on, it's in making sure they're willing to investigate it. And so getting that classroom culture of, oh, that's fantastic. Yes, we could see how many shapes we could make. Right, off you go. You go and see how many you make. You can encourage them to record them in different ways. So then we're on the third step. And then taking the time afterwards to sit with them and go, okay, so you've got all these different shapes you've made. Tell me how you went about it. Would you do that again next time? Do you know, if there's somebody new came in the classroom or they've been away today and they're going to do this tomorrow, what sort of hints and tips might you give them? And is there anything else you want to do? We've done a square and we've cut it up. Is there anything else you'd like to go and have a go at now? And how might you do it differently now that you've done this activity? So just by giving them a square and cutting it up, you could have at least one maths lesson out of that. Some fantastic displays in the classroom, some really great maths dialogue going on, and some really curious learners, just taking them along those baby steps. And some children will go along them faster than others, but they can all move along because it's low threshold, high ceiling. And it's such a lovely way to nurture curiosity. How easily can these ladders fit into an already packed maths curriculum? What exactly have teachers found challenging about this approach? And one thing the teams work really hard on is developing curriculum maps. So when you look at an enriched activity, look on the left-hand side and there's a symbol there saying if it's primary or secondary mapped. So that's great because it means it's an activity you can use for an objective you're trying to cover and it can help develop the curiosity. So we've got curiosity resources developed in what we call features. And if you go on the primary or secondary areas, we've also set up a whole area called habits of mind. Habits of mind, the qualities we want, the resilience, the curiosity. And we've put them all there and organized them according to strands. So if you're teaching number, there's some resources you might want to use secondary or primary. If you're doing statistics, we've put some there as well. So you can go and find a whole set of resources and choose when to use them. And I think having that flexibility is really important, knowing when this will be the right time to share it with your class. That's the professional judgment. What we try and do is make sure there's some really high quality, engaging resources that will help the teachers do that when the time's right. Mm. Oh, you know, when you were doing your research and you kind of obviously had that feedback with the teachers, and I'm sure that you're still in touch with all, you know, a number of teachers who teach this way, you know, what sort of, did they come across any challenges in particular in delivering this, you know, and, and how would potentially, could they overcome those challenges, do you think? Yeah, I think that's a really good point because teachers use enriching different ways. And I know I did when I was teaching full-time in the classroom. One thing that I found helpful, and this was reinforced by some teachers that I worked with, it was just, just before the pandemic, I'd gone into some schools in London, and they were saying the most important thing that they did when they were using our resources was to spend some time to do the activity themselves. 
And there were several reasons for that. One of them was about their own confidence. Because yes, they're experienced teachers. But when you do an activity that's exploratory, the children can go off it in different ways and, it, and have these great ideas. That's what we want. But just having time beforehand to explore it, and we put examples of children's work on there as well. So do the activity, see what other classes have sent in and the sorts of things that might come up. And look at the teacher's notes when we suggest ways to support the learning and to extend the learning. And it's an investment in time because if we set that time aside, and I found it really helpful, and other colleagues who are classroom-based at the moment have said it's really helpful because then they have the confidence to let the children run with their ideas because they've already thought about where they might lead, how much time they might take. So it's allowing the time in the classroom to investigate it. And sometimes they said it takes a little bit longer. And I've been in classes where the children didn't want to go out at break because they were having such fun doing the maths. Okay, um, that's a great thing, but you have to be prepared for that. But having that time beforehand to sit down and try the activity yourself, that's been the advice for many teachers. And it's what I found myself when I was teaching full time as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Test Podagogy. Please join us again next week.